This week I, I read the following quote. The document with the greatest influence on the Western culture, North America and Europe, is the Ten Commandments. The document with the greatest influence on our culture is the Ten Commandments. They argued by saying the man who is called the father of Europe, Charlemagne, used the Ten Commandments as the basis, as part of the basis for laws in medieval Europe. A century later, it was Alfred the Great in England who began the famous laws of Alfred using the Ten Commandments. Any of you that know anything about our United States history should be well aware that the influence our nation has given to the Ten Commandments. John Adams once wrote, As much as I love and admire the Greeks, I do believe that it was the Hebrews who have done more to enlighten and civilize the world than any other. Moses did more than all other legislators or philosophers. So that's why we see the Ten Commandments prominently displayed in our Supreme Court. They are outside of the building on a sculpture over the east portico. They are inside of the courtroom. They are engraved over the chair of the Chief Justice. They can be seen on the bronze doors of the court. Harvard Law School professor Alan Dershowitz said the Ten Commandments are clearly a precursor to all of Western law, especially American law. So you can see why some might say that the greatest, the document with the greatest influence on Western culture is the Ten Commandments. Now I'm not trying to persuade you this morning that the Ten Commandments are the most influential document in all of Western culture. You can agree or disagree with that. What I do want you to hopefully see is that these Ten Commandments have an amazing, tremendous influence in the world you live in. Whether you want to agree with that or not, that is just the reality. You live in the United States. You live in Europe. You live in Western culture. This culture has been shaped by these commandments. But do you even know them? If you were to write them down in your bulletin there in the sermon notes section, if I were to say, all right, quiz time, commandment number one and two and three, I wonder how many of us would actually get all 10 out of 10. In my readings this week, I came across a study that 10 years ago was done and said that 80% of people knew what was in a Big Mac hamburger, but only 60% of those same people knew that you shall not murder was one of the 10 commandments. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems like one of the obvious ones. 35% of the people in this study could name all six kids in the Brady Bunch. This must have been a lot of older people taking this. Some of you even not know what the Brady Bunch is? But 14% doing the study could list all 10 commandments. Brady Bunch, yes. 10 commandments, not so good. So how about you? How well do you really know the Ten Commandments? If you don't know them that well, or you don't even think you could list out all ten, you're in luck. This morning we begin a new sermon series. It'll be 12 weeks long on the Ten Commandments. This week we'll be introducing the Ten Commandments, and we're going to begin first by just reading them. So if you don't know them, open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. That can be found on page 61 of the black Bibles that are around you. Exodus chapter 20. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 17. 
And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is in, within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Over the next several weeks, we'll be looking at each one of these commandments one by one. This week, however, I'd like us to take an introductory look at all ten commandments. And if you'd like, you could form it in the form of a quiz. Not a quiz of what the Ten Commandments are, you just heard those, but how well do you really know the Ten Commandments? So I'm going to ask you ten questions to test your knowledge on the Ten Commandments. Many of these questions will go by rather quickly, but a few of them are so extremely important that we will refer to them week in and week out because there will be foundational questions, foundational truths, that if you don't have this introduction material, I think we could miss the whole purpose and point of the Ten Commandments altogether. Question number one. In the Bible, the Ten Commandments are actually never called the Ten Commandments. So, question for you. What are they called? In the Bible, they are never called the Ten Commandments. Look down at verse 1. They're not called the Ten Commandments here. And God spoke all these words, saying. Really, that's the only thing we get. And God spoke all these words. That's, in fact, how the Hebrews called these Ten Commandments. Words. Every time the Bible refers to this set of commandments, it uses the phrase, the ten words. Not ten commandments, the ten words. So every time your English translation, if you do a search on this or you read through your Bible, you say, well, I do read sometimes it says ten commandments. That's not what it says. In its original language, it just says the ten words. 
Now, a nickname for the Ten Commandments that you may have heard, maybe not, is the Decalogue. Now, you want to know why that is? Because the Greek translation of the Bible, of the Old Testament, will take the ten words, and deca is the word for ten, and log is the word for words, so decalogue, ten words. So we could call them the ten words, we could call them the decalogue, we could just call them the Ten Commandments, and that's actually what I'm going to do this sermon series. There's really not much issue about what we call them. The issue is what they say. That's what people normally have an issue with. So, just by my curiosity, how many of you would like to humbly admit right now that you have never heard what I just said, and you always thought that the Ten Commandments were called the Ten Commandments, and you just raise your hand and say, yeah, I had no idea that there was a thing called the Decalogue, I didn't even know they were called the Ten Words. Anyone want to just confess? All right, a few shy, everybody's pretty much like this. No one's proud saying yes. That was new to me. Thank you, Pastor Phil. Now, the reason I bring this up is not to say, well, aren't we all now more educated? The reason I want to bring this first point up is that because sometimes things in the Bible that are very familiar, you actually don't know that well because you just learn what general people and culture says about them. So let this first question be a little lesson for all of us, that we probably come into this room this morning with baggage about the Ten Commandments. So I want to, for the rest of these nine questions, encourage you to open your mind and think maybe, maybe there's some things this morning that you have not considered that you probably should. Question number two. How were the Ten Commandments first given? How were the Ten Commandments first given? Now the standard answer would be what? Uh, they were written down on stone tablets because I think a lot of us are familiar to seeing the Ten Commandments in the artwork, like the Supreme Court that I just referenced. Somebody holding two stone tablets, like Moses, for example. And you're used to seeing them on five on one hand, five on the other tablet, or maybe four on one tablet and six on the other. But when you look at chapter 20, verse 1, this is the first time the Ten Commandments are given. And it says, and God spoke all these words saying. So in fact, the Ten Commandments were first given orally. They were spoken by God to Moses and all of Israel that's there around Mount Sinai at the bottom of the mountain, as we see in chapter 19. It wasn't until Exodus 34, verse 28. So just turn with me a few pages over to Exodus 34, and you'll see the account of the ten words being written down on stone tablets. Exodus 34, verse 28. I'll start in verse 27 just for the sake of context. It says in verse 27, And the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the ten commandments. And then in my Bible, and many of yours probably, has a footnote, a little number one next to it here in the ESV, and it says the word in the Hebrew is literally the ten words, which makes our first point clear yet again. So here in Exodus 34, the ten commandments were written down on tablets. The artwork that you would normally see that would make you think, oh, they were first given on stone tablets, and then that's how the Ten Commandments were given. Oftentimes, like I said, split it in five and five or four and six. And that's because people see those as not just, well, 
But if you read the Ten Commandments, they don't, in terms of wordage, fit equally five and five or four and six. So why does the artwork or your normal vision of the Ten Commandments split it up that way? And the idea is that there's two tables of the law. The first four or five, depending on how you want to split it up, are all about authority and submitting to God. So that's why five is sometimes put in there. And then the last six or five are all about our human relationships with one another. So there's these two ideas, love God and love one another. In fact, in two weeks when I'm out of town, Kenny's going to be preaching on the summary that Jesus gives, where he sums up all of the commandments as love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the summary of all the commandments. So that's the normal thing you see. What you probably don't see is that in Exodus 34... We just read that God says this was to make a covenant that these tablets were written down on stone. And that those stones were then put into the Ark of the Covenant, was to keep them safe, and then put in the temple. And it's very possible, although we don't know this for sure, but it's very possible that on each stone tablet, written on the front and back, were all ten commandments. Because every time a covenant is made, you make one copy for one party and one copy for another, and then you put them together and make sure that everybody has a copy. So it could be that all of your artwork has misled you to think that there's five and five or four and six, and it really could have been front and back, all ten on each stone tablet. We can't know for sure, but there's question number two. How were they first given? They were given by God's word, not written down, And before we move on to our next question, I want to just make sure you don't miss what happens after the Ten Commandments were first given. Look down at chapter 20 of Exodus, verses 18 through 21, and notice the response of hearing these first Ten Commandments given. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Wow. When I read the Ten Commandments just a few moments ago, none of you had that response. I'm not saying that you should have, but I'm just trying to point out, picture this scene. Does this scene match up with your vision of the holy majesty of the God who is? When I read these verses, I was immediately reminded of the words of Isaiah in Isaiah 66, verse 2. These are the ones I will bless, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and those who tremble at my word. Does that describe you this morning? One who is humble and contrite and trembles at the word of God. One of the reasons I want us as a church to be devoted to the public reading of Scripture is so that every single Sunday when we open up God's Word, not just when I'm teaching it, but when people come up here and they open up the Word, I want you to be reminded we revere this Word. We're committed to this Word. 
This word is holy. It is from God. It is not man-made. It is inspired through the Holy Spirit. This is not something we've come up with. There's a reason why we should come and gather this morning. And it's not to hear Pastor Phil. It is to hear God. I hope that as weeks and weeks go on, there'd be a continuing, growing anticipation not to hear a preacher, not to hear people read scripture, but to hear the voice of God because he is worthy to tremble at his voice. Every great spiritual movement that I have ever read about or heard, any revival of some sorts, includes people taking the word of God with great seriousness and earnestness. So my great prayer for us as a church and for you as an individual Christian is that you will read this and you will ask yourself again and again, do I revere the word of God as holy? Is there any sense to which you can say, I understand why they would respond that way? Moses, stop. Stop having God get that close to us. Tell him to stop talking. All of us need to make a decision every day of your life. Will you bow before the holy word of God or will you keep living your life by your own commandments? That's question number two. How were they first given? God spoke them with great thunder that it scared them badly. Question number three. How many commandments are there? This one should seem obvious. Oh, I got this one, Pastor Phil. There's 10. Yes, that is the obvious answer. There are 10 commandments, but these are 10 of the first 613 recorded commandments in the book of Moses. And I bring that point up because Exodus 20 doesn't just stop with the Ten Commandments. If you look down right after what we just read and you keep reading, you'll see that God doesn't stop giving commandments. Look at verse 22. And the Lord said to Moses, thus you shall say to the people of Israel, you have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourself gods of gold. An altar on earth you shall make, you shall not make for, you shall make for me and sacrifice on it in burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. And every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it on hewn stones. For if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness be not exposed on it. And we'll just pause there, but you can look in your Bibles and see the laws don't stop coming. Chapter 21, chapter 22, chapter 23, and then in chapter 24, this covenant is confirmed with a meal. Because covenants were ratified and formed in the context of a meal together. That was normal, traditional custom of covenants. That's why we actually have the Lord's Supper later in the service, because it's a covenant meal, like the Passover. Anyway, how many commandments are there? Well, there's 10 commandments that are set apart from the other 613, which is why we call them the 10 commandments. But you should know that there were more commandments, and that In the eyes of somebody making a covenant, they don't separate some with the others. So imagine you're getting married, and you stand before your wife, and you say, I promise, in richer or poorer, sickness and in health, till death do us part, to be with you and hold you forever. The general words given in a covenant ceremony like marriage. 
Now imagine later on you decide, well, I only meant the richer for poorer part. You're sick. I'm going to pick those and say those were just later. Wouldn't that seem very odd? See, that's how odd it would be if you and I were to take ten commandments out of the laws in the Sinai covenant and say, well, these ones, well, we're only going to obey these and not the other ones. That's not the way they worked. These were a unit together. There's a unity of the commandments in the 613. So then the question should be, well, then why do we separate these ten out? Why are we doing a sermon series on these? Why not just all 613? Well, we could, and maybe we will. But the reason is because the Bible separates them out. The Bible separates them out as a summary of all the other 613. They're first, they're foundational, and when you read all of the other 613, you will notice that the Ten Commandments are the principles for where those 613 come from. So there's a reason why we single them out. You'll notice that Exodus 34 singles them out when we read that. The stone tablets had the ten words. So on those tablets weren't all 613. You would need more than two stone tablets, more than likely. Unless they wrote really, really small. You know. So ten commandments of the 613, they summarize all of the 613. Question number four. How many times are the ten commandments recorded in the Bible? How many times are all ten commandments recorded in the Bible? Well, you'd be safe by saying at least once, because we just read them in Exodus 20, but do they appear again in full form? And the answer is yes, they appear again in Deuteronomy chapter 5, and they match up pretty straightforward 10 and 10, but there's not perfect wording. They're not a word-for-word copy, and there's a lot of other nuances and differences One book I read this week said there's 20 differences between the two sets of Ten Commandments, but they're minor differences, and the commandments, in essence, are the same. The reason for the differences and the reason for the second giving is because Deuteronomy is a second giving of the law to the people who never heard the Ten Commandments, and all their parents died, and they were children, and they never heard these Ten Commandments, so Moses gave it to them again, and that's Deuteronomy chapter 5. That's the whole point of the book of Deuteronomy is to re-give all of the 613 laws to the people that never heard them, the generation whose parents died off in the wilderness when God judged them. In the New Testament, we do not see all Ten Commandments, especially not in a set, and some, and in fact, I will argue later in this series when we get to the Fourth Commandment, that the Fourth Commandment is never explicitly stated in the New Testament, but all other nine are. So when you read the New Testament and you say, I follow Jesus, Does that mean you should follow the Ten Commandments? Well, if you believe in the New Testament and that's your covenant document, then you should certainly obey nine of them. And there's a little bit of question and agreement to hopefully disagree, even in this church, about what we should do on the Sabbath, but that will be in a few weeks. That's question number four. Where do they appear in Scripture? Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, and nine of the ten are clearly repeated in the New Testament. Question five. Who were they given to? Well, in our Old Testament scripture reading earlier in the service, you'll see in chapter 19, in verses 1 through 6, that it's Israel who has escaped the land of Egypt and wandering in the wilderness of Sinai, and they're at the foot of the mountain of Sinai where Moses went up to God and called them and said that you, you Israel, you will be set apart from all other nations. Be my treasured possession among the earth. 
So these Ten Commandments are a part of God speaking to Israel, specifically, personally, and setting them apart. And so these Ten Commandments and all the other 613 were primarily directed and addressed to Israelites. Secondarily, these Ten Commandments are to be a site for the rest of the nations to look on how Israel governed themselves and how they lived their lives for them to be in awe of God's wisdom and goodness and His holy character as those things that are being lived out as they obey the Ten Commandments are then being displayed to the rest of the world. So there's a sense when you could say, are these Ten Commandments for you, for us, for the nations, for the whole world? Yes. Because the whole world is supposed to look at the way Israel's covenant was formed and be in awe of the goodness and the holiness of God's character in these Ten Commandments. So that brings us to question number six. This is the pressing question that we must answer. If they're not given to us, question six, then why are we even studying them? Why Should we even obey them? How would you answer that question? Should you obey the Ten Commandments? The short answer, if you want to just write one down and you want to remember, yes. Was that a surprise? Oh. Anyone feeling comforted? The long answer and more complicated answer is not really because you're not an Israelite. This is not your covenant. If you call yourself a Christian, then you have a new covenant, and so you are in that covenant. You should obey those covenant commands with their curses and blessings, not this one. So you just said yes and then not really. How do we make sense of that? Now, I could go on for like, oh, no, two days and talk about theological this and that, but I think the most helpful thing for us to do is give a pitiful illustration that will hopefully help. Pitiful meaning that there's just so much complexity to this question, but I think if we boil it down to something simple, hopefully all of us will get what I'm trying to say when I say yes and no. So here's the illustration. I have three daughters, one son. Imagine one of the daughters is living in my home and starts counting up all the commandments and rules for my house. And they realize that daddy and mommy put together 613 commands for the Howell house. They've written them down, they're rather legalistic and they want to please mom and dad, so they read them and they try and obey them as best as they can. One of the things they realize is that mommy and daddy have 10 of the commandments and rules that are set apart as not just summaries, but like the foundational for all the rest of the commandments, okay? Everybody so far so good? Other than like, wow, this pastor is really strict. 613 commands. But then... My daughter grows up, she leaves the house, she gets married, and she's now no longer under my authority directly. She is submitting herself to her husband, as the scriptures would teach. Does she still obey all of my rules? And there's a sense to which you'd say, well, some of them just don't apply anymore, because there was that one rule that you had about not letting any men stay in the house alone with her, and she should pursue purity and modesty. So imagine her telling that to her husband. Well, I have a rule that I'm not allowed to be alone with a man. You see where this is going? Because of the nature of the new relationship with her husband, some of the rules just don't apply anymore. And so therefore, she is under a different covenant. She's under a different household. 
But then, and, and this is the part that all the kids probably want to close their ears, not because it's scandalous, but because they don't want to admit it, especially college students. Then, five years go down the road, and they start having their own children. And they start realizing, you know, mom and dad's rules were actually really good. See, that's the part nobody wants to admit until you get your own children. You start realizing, i got to start making some decisions and be responsible here. And then they realize those first ten, actually those were foundational for like all of life, especially how to live in the household. And then what if they decide to establish together as a married couple, yeah, those are going to be our rules too. Are you starting to see how this makes sense? Is there a sense to which you should obey the Ten Commandments? Yeah. Is there another sense to which you should not obey the Ten Commandments and act like the Old Testament covenant is your covenant and that you're still under your mom and dad's house? No, that would be silly. So this illustration is to hopefully help clear up these difficult questions that are like, well, how come you Christians just pick and choose some commands out of the Old Testament and not others? How come you don't do animal sacrifices on Sunday morning when you worship? And the answer is clearly obvious. I'm in a completely different relationship that it just doesn't make sense. It'd be like my daughter telling her husband, we can't be alone together. Because see, you're married to Jesus Christ and his sacrifice is once and for all sufficient. So in for whatever sense that illustration helps, I hope it gets us off to a start when I say, should you obey these commandments? And I say, yes. But no, you should not act like these commands are over you. The more clear way to say it is it really depends on how you're asking. If you're asking, should I obey these Ten Commandments because they're wise and good and they're from God and they apply to all of us, Christian, non-Christian, etc., then the answer is absolutely yes. If you say, should I obey these Ten Commandments because I'm under the covenant of Moses in Israel? <laughs> no. Unless... That's who you think you are. Are you an Israelite Jew that does not believe in the resurrection of Jesus and him being the long-awaited Messiah that many of these commandments were pointing to? So that's question number six. Should we obey these commandments? Question seven. What's the first thing that are in the Ten Commandments? What's the first thing in the Ten Commandments? Many people might think, you shall have no other gods before me. However, that would be again incorrect. Just look down at chapter 20 again. Chapter 20, verse 1 and 2. Let me read it again. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God starts to speak. When he speaks, how many commands were in verse 2? Zero. It's a declaration. I am the Lord, Yahweh. The God who revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. I'm the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. The Ten Commandments begin with not do but done. It has been done. This might be the most important thing I say all morning, and this has the potential to transform your entire life. 
There are many of you that not just have baggage about misunderstanding the Ten Commandments. You have baggage in thinking that your identity is wrapped up in what you do to impress God. God is not impressed. God establishes relationships with us not on the basis of your performance of his laws, but on the basis of his grace, his mercy, his love, his choosing you out of who knows why. Because he loved you. And he chose you and he said, I'm going to save you and rescue out of slavery. That is how all of the Bible communicates, which is why it is so important for so many of you that think, well, the Old Testament is all about laws and it's not about grace until Jesus comes. Read your Bible carefully. No. The Old Testament is about a God who sees a sinful humanity and chooses Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob. And then eventually Jacob turns into this nation of Israel. And then that nation gets so large that Egypt decides to enslave them and feels threatened by them. But God in his grace and mercy before he gives them a single commandment rescues them out of slavery. Then he tells them at the Mount of Sinai, at the foot of the mountain, I chose you so that you would be distinct and set apart from all other people. So here is what I want you to look like. Salvation comes first, then God's law. Grace, then law. This is clear not just in the Old Testament. Let me read for you Romans chapter 6. This is what it looks like in New Testament form. But I believe Paul understood this idea so well that he wrote, wrote so many of his letters to make sure that this idea is not missed. Listen to Romans 6. What then shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For we have been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. See that slavery language? For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we have also lived with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. I just read you 10 verses of glorious gospel truth. Look back through how many times does Paul command you to do something. It's the same answer how many commands are in verse 2. Do you notice he connects this idea to slavery? You're in slavery just like the Egyptians were, but this time it's slavery to sin. That slavery in Egypt was just a metaphor of something greater, the spiritual slavery all of us have to sin. But Paul says because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, we can be united to Jesus' death and resurrection and no longer be slaves to sin. So therefore, read the next verse, verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus I just read you the first command in all of Paul's letter to the Romans. 
he gets to chapter 6, verse 11. Anybody know anything about Romans? It is dense and full of God has done this. God has done this. You are like this, but God through Jesus has done this to make peace with man so that you can be free from sin. So first thing I want you to do, first command for you to get, Romans, consider yourself dead to sin. That is exactly what God is doing when he speaks at Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. Oh, Israel, if you're going to do anything, first consider this. You have been rescued. You have been set free. And my friend, if you're listening here this morning and you think Christianity is about a performance-based relationship, you have missed Christianity altogether. It begins and continues and ends with God's grace. And so many of you are Christians today and you're sitting here and you're still struggling with this very simple point even though you've heard it all your life. You're still thinking that after you sin that God now doesn't love you anymore. He already saved you while you were yet still sinners. Knowing all sins you would ever commit. Let this truth sink deep down into your heart. Massage it in. Remind yourself of it. Preach it to each other day in and day out. The first thing God does in the Ten Commandments is give you grace. Question number eight. So why did he give them to Israel if he already saved them? Answer, not to save them. Did we make that point clear enough already? Not to save them. These commands were not so that Israel would be saved. They already were saved So the reason that he gave these commands, as has already been made clear in chapter 19, to set Israel apart from all other nations for the great glory of God, Yahweh, so that all peoples of the earth will see how Israel lives according to God's word, and they would come and bow down and worship the God of Yahweh. God's love for you is the fuel to keep you going. His commands are the road and the path that you should take to keep going. Do not confuse the relationship between the two. God gave these commands as a road, as a path, so that you can know which way should I go here? That way. Should I commit adultery? No, that would be going the wrong way. What's the fuel to make sure I don't commit adultery? The love of God through his grace. So I ask you, do you have fuel in your tank this morning? Then go back to verse 2 and remind yourself that God saves sinners out of slavery. Do you need help and wisdom about which path to take in your life? Then look at God's law and find great instruction, as we hopefully will in the weeks to come, about how these laws will help us live out how to be free people. There's the great paradox. Most of you in this room, you've grown up your whole life thinking that commands were given to constrict and confine. No, 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 no. They were slaves. These laws were to set them free. This is what it looks like to live as free people, not as slaved people. See these laws for your good. See them for your freedom. So you can learn the path of this is what I was made to go this way. Any of you ever gone the wrong path and like, this is not working out. I don't think I was made to do this. God's laws were given for that purpose. Do not use God's law as the fuel to keep you going. Use his love and his grace. Use his laws to help you know where to go. Question nine. 
if these laws were given to set Israel apart, are these laws really that much different? If these laws were given to set Israel apart from all other nations, well, what if we look at their laws? And what if we see that their laws are pretty similar? Well, that doesn't set them very different apart. So, what's the answer? The answer is that the second six, the second set of six, remember I mentioned that there's two tables, loving God, honoring your father and mother, but then those last five or six, depending on where you want to start, honor father and mother, or thou shalt not murder. The second half is not really that unique. So some people accuse Christians and Jews to say, they just copycatted off of other societies. Everybody has a law, do not murder. That's obvious. That's not the point. The point of the Ten Commandments is not that they're so unique in the second half. The point of the Ten Commandments is the first four that set them apart from every other list of commandments that have ever existed. They are monotheistic. Compare and contrast that with many other world religions, philosophies, ideologies. Do you realize in pagan culture 3,500 years ago how many idols and temples and statues there were all around? And then you get to the second commandment, you shall have no idols. These are counter-cultural, and this is the most important idea, they are God-centered. If you understand the first four commandments, you will realize the connection with the last six commandments. As one author put it this way, the first four commandments obviously pertain to Yahweh. No other gods, no idols, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Worship the Sabbath day and keep it holy. What most people don't understand is that the last six commandments on the surface don't seem to be about God. But in fact, they do. They do have everything to do with God. They reflect the way that he has created the world. They should be obeyed because God has spoken them. They should be obeyed because he is the creator and we're his creatures. Because his world was made to work according to these words. Fathers and mothers should be honored because God is our heavenly father. We are his people. So we should honor God. We should not murder because God alone gives life. And as Genesis chapter 9 says, people were made in God's image. Adultery should not be committed because God has made man male and female so that two might become one flesh and be a picture of the gospel. No thief, no theft should be done because God makes poor and he makes rich. No false witness should be committed because God does not ever lie. No committing, no coveting should be done because God alone is worthy of our satisfaction. And at the right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. All authority and majesty and identity of God is central to all ten commandments. Or as Martin Luther so eloquently put, anytime you disobey any commandment, you have broken the first commandment. You have rejected God as your one true God. As we go through these ten commandments, I want to make sure that you see God-centeredness around these commandments. So you see all of the commandments in their proper perspective. And last and finally, question number 10. Who can obey them? Who can obey the Ten Commandments? No one. No one is righteous. No, not one. All have turned away and rejected God and created their own set of rules and commandments. 
And none of us like to read these commands and naturally by our own inclination of our heart say, yeah, I want to obey that. I want to submit to that. I want to center my life around God and his word. If you were to read the rest of the Old Testament, especially the first five books, this is what you would get. God starts giving his first commandments on Mount Sinai. The people don't want to hear it, so they send Moses up the mountain and he gets the rest. He comes back down with two stone tablets. And they say on them, these ten commandments. As Moses is up on the mountain, getting the ten commandments to bring them down, written on stone tablets, Israel is making a golden calf and breaking the first and the second commandment. That story comes right after all these commands are given. Do you, do you see what the book's trying to tell you? God wants to enter in a relationship with his people. He saved them by his grace, and he wants them to live a certain way. But they don't choose to live that way. They have the inability to live that way. If you're like, well, that's just one story. Keep reading. The commands keep coming. So they sin. They worship a golden calf. Then you start reading in Numbers and Leviticus, more commands. After a set of commands, guess what the next narrative story is? Another dreadful act of breaking the very commands that were given. This is the structure of the Pentateuch from this point onward. Commands, sin. Commands, more of them. More sin on those commands. Commands, are you getting my point? Moses wants you to know when you read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the law cannot change and transform wicked, sinful hearts. We need a new covenant. We need another Israel. Israel is failing miserably at this. That's the whole point of the first five books of the Bible, is for you to get to the end of Deuteronomy and realize we need something or someone else. Friends, we are a Christian church. We don't just look forward to the day that, the day that this person or this thing will come. It already has. His name is Jesus, and the covenant is called the New Covenant, which he made by his body and his blood. Jesus perfectly fulfilled all of these commands. The only one in all of human history who obeyed them without misstepping for one millisecond. Be in all this morning to know that Jesus never bowed down to any other God, even when he was tempted by Satan to bow down. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He doesn't need to make a statue. He could just look in the mirror. Jesus never took the Lord's name in vain, even though he was killed and accused for blasphemy. Jesus is the very Lord of the Sabbath and determines what should and should not be done. And all other religious leaders of his day that tried to make rules of the Sabbath had to bow down to Lord Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus always honored his heavenly father first and foremost. Even in Luke chapter 2, when he told his mom and dad on the earth, I must be in my father's house. 
Jesus never murdered, but he himself was murdered like a sheep led to the slaughter. Jesus never committed adultery. He was single and never married. He never committed one sexual sin his entire life. Jesus himself said, even if you lust at a woman with your mind and your heart, you have committed adultery already. And he, get this, never did that once. He never stole anything. His clothes were ripped off of him. He was naked on a cross and soldiers made money off of his clothes. But Jesus never took. He gave. And then he gave some more. And when he was tired and people wanted healings and miracles, he gave even more of himself until he gave, until he could give nothing else. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these commandments. He told the truth because he is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus never coveted because he never needed anything. He had perfect fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in the triune nature of God. He is the glory of the perfect, satisfied human being. Look to Jesus this morning and every morning in the Ten Commandments series and see not only the one who will forgive you for your failure to obey the commandments, but the one who actually did obey them. This is where we're going in this sermon series. Look to Jesus. See him in and fulfilling and obeying these commands. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we are so thankful this morning that there is a new covenant. We are so thankful this morning that you have sent Jesus, born of a virgin, not with the curse of sin that all of us have experienced in this life. And he did not do away with the law. He did not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it, to actually be the only one who accomplished all that you set out for Israel to accomplish there on Mount Sinai. We thank you, God, for your saving us in your grace because we are so undeserving of that salvation. We thank you, God, that you have given us commands. We thank you that we have a path for how to live in this world, that you do not leave us in the dark and we can know how to please you and obey you. And God, we want to. If you've so loved us in these ways through Jesus, why would we not want to please you? Are your ways not good? Father, I pray this morning that as we leave from this room today, we will be all convinced, yes, your ways are good, so much better than our ways. Your commands are good. They are a delight. They are a blessing. They are a gift. And I pray that you'd protect us for the rest of this sermon series from one person not a single soul that will ever hear these sermons and think that salvation comes by obeying commands. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.